Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, book 14, chapter 12. In this chapter, Tolstoy writes this. And now, during these last three weeks of the march, Pierre had learned still another new consolatory truth, that nothing in this world is terrible. He had learned that as there is no condition in which man can be happy and entirely free, so there is no condition in which he need be unhappy and lack freedom. He learned that suffering and freedom have their limits and that those limits are very near together. That the person in a bed of roses with one crumpled petal suffered as keenly as he now, sleeping on the bare damp earth with one side growing chilled while the other was warming. What do you think of this passage? Do you agree with Tolstoy, Pierre, slash Pierre's reflections here? Yeah, I think... Um, I think it's true to a large extent. You condition to poor conditions very quickly. Um, and vice versa, you condition to really good conditions really quickly. If you are sleeping in a bed of roses... Uh, a crumpled, crumpled petal will cause you discomfort. It's interesting to note that it said, you know, one side of him was freezing while the other side was warmed. I think the side that was freezing was the one on the bare, damp earth. The side that was warmed, was that referring to... It? There was a passage in there, someone that referred to the fact that his lice that were, you know, uh, biting him all over his body was actually having a warming effect. It was keeping him warm you imagine the thing that also worried me so much was the condition of his foot he's got to do one thing to stay alive and that's march and now he's having these problems with his feet where they've gone beyond the point where he can look at them he can't stand to look anymore to see what they look like and also he can't feel the pain anymore because they've gone beyond the point of the pain being well, I guess um, dis- distinguishable. What am I trying to say? Like you can't, you can't tell the difference anymore. It's just all. It's so painful that it's numb. It's just numb pain. So you can't feel the specifics of that pain. Ooh. Anyway, it just seems like it's getting to the point of gangrene, maybe, or like. Amp- we in, are we in amputation territory? What's going on? He w- he won't even look. Might be nothing. He might just have some bad blisters. But I somehow don't think so. Angel of the Dawn said the passage about Pierre's new consolatory truth is interesting. I find myself very trying to relate to it in parts of my understanding of Buddhism and Zen, which may be flawed. Granted, life is suffering, and we are eternally connected via tethers to many different things in our life. These tethers fill our mind and pull on our emotions. Perhaps these kinds of connections are what Tolstoy is referring to by saying there is no condition in which man can be happy and entirely free, although Buddhism might have you believe that bliss is being perfectly free from your connections and thoughts, and I'll have to ponder how those two ideas coincide. It did kind of remind me of a bit of a Buddhist Zen philosophy in that it, not necessarily that passage, but other passages from that chapter where I think I finished up yesterday's episode saying that he was performing a bit of mind over matter and just kind of insisting on not suffering despite the fact that his body is suffering. Uh, That seems very Zen to me. 
Aoba with my very limited understanding of Zen Buddhism. But um, oh, it's just what do you call that? Stoicism. Is that stoicism to like in uh, in a kind of really extreme form? I don't know. He's a tough one though, our Pierre. FDLP says, sorry, FDLP1 says, good to see Pierre is continuing to develop an inner peace that enables a glass half full attitude through hardships. The lice that made a meal of him gave him a pleasant feeling of being kept warm. Well, there you go. That's the that's the passage I was looking for. Thanks, FDLP1. Oh, that stood out to me as well. Obviously, I said it before. That line was, I don't know. I feel like there's um, some kind of layers to that. It kind of sums up a bit of the chapter. Such a horrible thing. And he's finding this silver lining and almost even feeling, a ple- well, he does say a pleasant feeling. He's finding pleasure in it. Crazy. Ripster 66 says, Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I don't know what that quote's from, but really good quote for this particular chapter. And Twisted Every Way says, It's pretty interesting that Pierre has made it this far in the book. Everything that he's been through is insane on the whole. I don't know if I agree about all the suffering essentially being the same, but it's not like there's an objective scale of suffering or what's worse. Yeah, I think what it is is feeling awful is feels awful and it doesn't really matter what's caused you to have the reaction of feeling awful it feels the same so it might be something that you're overreacting about because you've got a pretty good life or it might be a horrible horrible situation but whatever it is causing it the feeling is pretty universal and feeling the worst you've ever felt feels the worst you've ever felt and it also doesn't matter if that's because of, you know, a high school breakup, which you know, you're completely overreacting about, or it's because you're, you know, prisoner of war with people dying all around you. Um, not that Pierre doesn't seem right now to be feeling the worst he's ever felt. He's really soldiering on. Kara Kikas says, This reminds me of the concept of cognitive equilibrium. I think I've got that right. Someone correct me if not. It's the idea that our minds are always trying to get back to baseline. So whatever new circumstance or information comes our way, we will assimilate it and try to reassert our own personalities again. So in this way, happy people are happy regardless of their circumstance. It's interesting to the way Tolstoy described it. I think it's true and fundamental to the human experience. Yeah, that makes sense. I was... Um, at my, my work, we had a seminar about mental health, um, you know, like a company-wide thing. It was for Are You OK Day? And we had this guest speaker come and talking about her battle with depression. And she was talking a really interesting, uh, telling a really interesting story of her personal triumph or battle, I should say, ongoing battle, not really a triumph, but how she got herself out of a depression and um, one of the things that she came to realize through her therapist was she always felt like she was depressed because of something that had happened. And she had a really good reason to be depressed because something awful had just happened. Um, and she would go in these cycles of deeper and deeper depression. And there was always something she could attribute it to. But the revelation that I speak of, which was really interesting was 
learning that that um, that depression I'm trying to think of the wording that she used because it was probably much better than how I'll paraphrase it essentially her mind her brain had an illness of depression you know and because of that it's sort of natural equilibrium was to be incredibly sad and so she feels like a bad thing happens and that makes her sad but the revelation was no you were going to be incredibly sad anyway and it wouldn't have really mattered what the trigger was you would have sort of found something to be sad about because that's where your brain wanted to sit that's where its equilibrium was it's easier for you to be extremely depressed and so yeah it seems like this thing caused the depression but no it's actually just what you've attached to the depression as its cause it's the subject of the depression but it's not actually the cause of it and I feel like what you've said there um, Kara Kikas is sort of the opposite happy people tend to be happy regardless of their circumstance Um, they might say you know I'm really happy about X or Y or Z but really that's their natural state and they would have been happy anyway interesting thought anyway um cool all right we've chit-chatted enough let's read the next chapter see how pierre carries on this is chapter 13 of book 14 at midday on the 22nd of october pierre was going uphill along the muddy slippery road looking at his feet and at the roughness of the way. Occasionally he glanced at the familiar crowd around him, and then again at his feet. The former and the latter were alike, familiar and his own. The blue-grey bandy-legged dog ran merrily along the side of the road, sometimes in proof of its agility and self-satisfaction, lifting one hind leg and hopping along on three, and then again going on all four, and rushing to bark at the crows that sat on the carrion. The dog was merrier and sleeker than it had been in Moscow. All around lay the flesh of different animals, from men to horses, in various stages of decomposition, and as the wolves were kept off by the passing men, the dog would eat all it wanted. It had been raining since morning, and had seemed as if at any moment... It might cease and the sky clear, but after a short break it began raining harder than before. The saturated road no longer absorbed the water, which ran along the ruts in streams. Pierre walked along, looking from side to side, counting his steps in threes and reckoning them off on his fingers. Mentally addressing the rain, he repeated, Now then, now then, go on, pelt harder. It seemed to him that he was thinking of nothing but far down and deep within him, His soul was occupied with something important and comforting. This something was a most subtle spiritual deduction from a conversation with Karate of the day before. At their yesterday's halting place, feeling chilly by a dying campfire, Pierre had got up and gone to the next one, which was burning better. There, Platon Karateev was sitting, covered up head and all, with his greatcoat as if it were an investment, telling the soldiers in his effective and pleasant though now feeble voice a story Pierre knew. It was already past midnight, the hour when Karatev was usually free of his fever and particularly lively. When Pierre reached the fire and heard Platon's voice enfeebled by illness, 
and saw his pathetic face brightly lit up by the blaze, he felt a panic, uh, sorry, a painful prick at his heart. His feeling of pity for this man frightened him, and he wished to go away, but there was no one, no other fire, and Pierre sat down, trying not to look at Platon. Well, how are, how are you? he asked. How am I? If we grumble at sickness, God won't grant us death, replied Platon, and at once resumed the story he had begun. And so, brother, he continued, with a smile on his pale, emaciated face and a particularly happy light in his eyes, you see, brother. Pierre had been long familiar with that story. Karatev had told it to him alone some half-dozen times, and always with especially joyful emotion. But well as he knew it, Pierre now listened to that tale as to something new and the quiet rapture Karatev evidently felt as he told it, communicated itself also to Pierre. The story was of an old merchant who lived a good and God-fearing life with his family and who went once to the Nazni fair with a companion, a rich merchant. Having put up at an inn, they both went to sleep and next morning his companion was found robbed and with his throat cut a blood-stained knife was found under the old merchant's pillow he was tried knouted and his nostrils having been torn off all in due form as Karatev put it he was sent to hard labor in siberia and so brother it was at this point that pierre came up ten years or more passed by the old man was living as a convict submitting as he should and doing no wrong only he prayed to god for death one Well, one night, the convicts were gathered just as we are, with the old man among them, and they began telling what each was suffering for, and how they had sinned against God. One told how he had taken a life, another had taken two, a third had set a house on fire, while another had simply been a vagrant and had done nothing. So they asked the old man, what are you being punished for, daddy? I, my dear brothers, said he, am being punished for my own and other men's sins. But I have not killed anyone or taken anything that was not mine, but have only helped my poorer brothers. I was a merchant, my dear brothers, and had much property. And he went on to tell them all about it in due order. I don't grieve for myself, he says. God, it seems, has chastened me. Only I am sorry for my old wife and the children. And the old man began to weep. Now it happened that in the group was the very man who had killed the other merchant, where did it happen, Daddy? He said. When and in what month? He asked all about it and his heart began to ache. So he comes up to the old man like this, falls down at his feet. You are perishing because of me, Daddy, he says. It's quite true, lads, that this man, he says, is being tortured innocently and for nothing. I, he says, did that deed, and I put the knife under your head while you were asleep. Forgive me, Daddy, he says, for Christ's sake. Karatev paused, smiling joy joyously as he gazed into the fire, and he drew the logs together. And the old man said, God will forgive you. We are all sinners in his sight. I suffer for my own sins, and he wept bitter tears. Well, and what do you think, dear friends? Karatev continued, his face brightening more and more with a rapturous smile, as if what he now had to tell contained the chief charm and the whole meaning of this story. What do you think, dear fellows? That murderer confessed to the authorities I have taken six lives, he says. He was a great sinner. But what I am most sorry for is this old man. Don't let him suffer because of me. So he confessed. And it was all written down. 
and the papers sent off in due form. The place was a long way off, and while they were judging what with one thing and another, filing in the papers all in due form, the authorities I mean, time passed. The affair reached the Tsar. After a while, the Tsar decree came out to set the merchant free and give him a compensation that he had been awarded. The paper arrived and they began to look for the old man. Where is the old man who has been suffering innocently and in vain? The paper has come from the Tsar. So they began looking for him. Here Karateyev's lower jaw trembled, but God had already forgiven him. He was dead. That's how it was, dear fellows. Karateyev concluded and sat for a long time silent, gazing before him with a smile. And Pierre's soul was dimly and joyfully filled, not by the story itself, but by its mysterious significance by the rapturous joy that lit up Karateyev's face as he told it, and the mystic significance of that joy. Alright, there we go, there's another chapter for you. Ooh, it seems sort of, I don't know, ominous, doesn't it? The way he's feeling so much joy in that story for Pierre. Alright, thanks for listening, guys, I'll see you tomorrow.